Hey everyone, it's Kendra Rommel with The Rommel Report. This is a podcast where I interview the who's who within my community to build your business and help you build your network. Most of all, build your wealth portfolio. Join me on my adventures with friends where I interview them to get you the most valuable content for your business so you too can scale up. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Today we are talking with someone super, super cool. Um, it's Mr. Mikey Taylor, professional skateboarder is how he started his career and uh, has since just become a serial entrepreneur. And um, now he's in real estate and just crushing it. So um, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for having me after <laughs> I fumbled so hard in our last one. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about how Mikey Taylor got his start. Who are you? How did you get your start? Mm. And, um... Oh man. Uh, well, it started as just like I was a 12 year old kid who saw one of like the cool guys riding a skateboard uh -huh. and I wanted to fit in. So I convinced my parents to get me a skateboard. And then that was kind of the beginning of what turned into an obsession. And from pretty much 12 to 16, it's all I did. And then I started getting pressure from my parents that I needed to get a job and I wasn't ready. Like I didn't want to <laughs> stop skateboarding pretty much. And so I figured out a way to ultimately convince my parents to allow me not to work if I could get companies to give me free product and then use that product to sell to my friends, right? That was like the hack. <laughs> and I think my mom, it was pretty much my mom. I think she thought it was so crazy that she was like, yeah, okay, if you do that, okay. And so I set off on this journey of trying to get sponsored. It ended up happening. And then uh, that lasted for about two years until I was about to graduate. Mm -hmm. And then it turned into, you have to go to college. <laughs> and I didn't want to go to college because I didn't want to let go of skateboarding. And so that was kind of the beginning of me trying to turn it into a career. Uh, and then it eventually happened and you know, I became a pro skateboarder. That's so awesome. So do you remember who your first sponsor was? Oh yeah, of course. And I remember the re first call. It, who was it? So the very first person that called me, uh, his name was R.P. Bess, and he worked for a shoe company called Duff's. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and at the same time, I got a call from this truck company called Venture and this skateboard company called Maple. Uh-huh. And uh, basically, I went out and made these videos of me skateboarding. Mm -hmm. And this is like before social media. And so I would do like, you know, make VHS copies. Yeah. <laughs> And then I would go <laughs> through the funny. magazines, right? Yeah. If there's any kids watching, like, what? Yeah. Uh, right. I would go through the magazines, and every once in a while, when a company would have an ad, they'd put their address at the bottom. Yeah. So anyone who had an address, that went on the video, and then I sent them out. I sent, yeah. like, 40, 45 tapes out. No one called me back. Yeah. And so that was like, okay, I need to do a better video. Uh -huh. And then went off, did another video, sent another 45 out, and then three people ended up calling me. So, wait, I want to stop right there. Did you have someone explaining to you how to do this or were you asking questions to like peers of hey how would i get a tape out or how do i do this um so there were a couple guys uh that had sponsors mm -hmm. and basically what they told me is like yeah you do you just make videos and just send them out like hope that people watch them okay so you did ask somebody for guidance yes and at that time what was your initial investment and did your parents help make that initial investment? Um, 
Well, the initial investment was really more time than anything mm -hmm. because I had one of like the local guys in our neighborhood who filmed mm -hmm. and he was just like a kid. So mm -hmm. he filmed the video for me. Mm -hmm. uh, it took me about four months to create the film. And then like going through like the copies and sending them out, it was small. It was like 25 bucks. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I was able to front the bill. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, so I asked because that is the foundation of you know, everyone starts somewhere. Yeah. You hear real estate stories where people start with $5, yeah, right? right? And some people are paralyzed in their analysis of how that can actually happen. Yeah. And so from a very young age, you took that same principle, made a $25 investment, mm. asked the questions, roadmapped how you were going to get what your mom posed to you basically as a challenge. Yeah. Well, you kind of said it and your mom was like agreeable to it. So yeah. from there, launched your entrepreneurial spirit maybe without even knowing that's right. right that was the birth of it yeah and i had no idea i didn't I, I look i didn't even know what an entrepreneur was till seven years ago yeah right and uh, we just that wasn't what we did like we skated and then people owned business that was like the yeah separation but yeah i think that was the beginning stages of it that's so so cool and so fast forward obviously successful skating career how did you hang that up oh i was forced to yeah yeah i had a uh so this was, gosh, when was this? 2016. Uh, I tore a ligament in my leg oh. and I fractured a, a part of my hip, but I was, I was able to skate through it. I skated for a full year with this tear and this fracture. And I had two years left on one of my contracts and it was my shoe deal and my clothing deal. It was pretty much all of my income. Mm -hmm. And I called them. I was like, hey guys, what is, what's your thoughts on this? Mm -hmm. Like, should I fix my leg? I'm going to be out four to five months and then I'll have, you know, a year and a half of just like, you know, going at it or should I just skate through the pain and run this contract out? No, go fix it. Dude, totally go fix it. So I have surgery the next month. They find the clause in my contract and end my deal. I'm on the couch. I can't walk. Aww. And so at that point I was 34 and kind of had to make a decision. It was like, you know, I knew I had a road to recovery mm -hmm. that I was going to have to go through. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I was already expecting my career to kind of start slowing down just because of the age I was. Yeah. And so I kind of looked at it and went, do I take this moment and just go all in and, mm -hmm. and move to the next? Or do I, you know, grind through recovery, start reaching out to sponsors, try to get a deal that may last another year or two mm -hmm. and ultimately just delay the inevitable. Mm -hmm. And so I made the decision like, no, I mean, I, I, this is the time. So at that point, had you been saving your money and thinking about plan B? Yeah. So I started thinking about plan B and it wasn't because of me. I had phenomenal guidance, but right from when, who family, friends. Yeah. It was kind of two parts. One, uh, I completely wholeheartedly believed that if I didn't go to college, I couldn't be successful. That was the first part of it. Mm -hmm. The second part was when I somehow convinced my parents that I wasn't going to go to school mm -hmm. and I was going to skate. They were so concerned that they pretty much lovingly forced me to connect with this guy, Randy. Okay. And they were like, Randy's going to help you. If you're going to be a pro skateboarder, you have to listen to him. And he was somebody who came into my life that started teaching me about finance, mm -hmm. financial literacy, the behavioral side, creating the disciplines, and ultimately gearing me towards a path of learning how to invest mm -hmm. so that I could ultimately put myself in a position when my career ended to where like, I would have some options. Yeah, right. Uh, so it started very, very young for me. Mm -hmm. 
what I did not prepare for was the emotional side. Like I right. was just like, look, if I get my money right, I'm good. Yeah, right. You know, and, right. and so it wasn't as, it was a lot harder than I thought it was gonna be when it ended. So that, I'm so glad you brought that up because that is a major component to business that is left out. It's almost like when you become successful, there's this thought that you're not supposed to have emotion, mm. right? And I think as a professional athlete of any, in any category, there's a huge identity association That's right. That's right. with you being an active athlete. That's right. So when you ended that, what did that feel like? Did you feel like you were fired? Did you feel like you were let down? Did you feel like you uh, kind of were lost? Yes to all of it. Uh, yeah. What threw me off is I'm not an emotional person. Right. Like my, I am very even keel. Right. When, when I'm in high stress situations, I'm good. Mm -hmm. When people are attacking me, I'm good. Mm -hmm. That's what threw me off when my career ended and I struggled with it. It was like, what is this? Yeah, right. And basically <laughs> like what I felt like was like I was no longer myself, mm -hmm. right? And I remember when it happened, it was like, I kept telling myself, I gotta get back to being me, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then that mixed with, I knew, so I'm gonna kinda have to backtrack here. Uh, one of the scariest things as a skateboarder or as an athlete mm -hmm. is we think our skill set is so hyper-focused in our craft right. and that it won't translate into something else. Yeah. So we do have this fear of like, what the heck am I gonna do after this? Right. During my career is when we started St. Archer. Mm -hmm. And through that was a big confidence booster for me because I learned how to take uh, skills and talents that I learned as a pro skateboarder and apply it to an industry that had nothing to do with skateboarding. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of felt like, you know what? I'm gonna be fine when my career ends. Mm -hmm. Uh, what I was so thrown off by was one, the identity Two, I didn't even know where to take my, it was like the lights were turned off. Yeah, it, it was right. like, okay, I know how to win, but I don't, I no longer know the game I'm playing mm -hmm. and I don't even know where to even put these skills. It was just like foggy and dark is how I could explain it. Right, right, right. Um, roadmap and circles. That's right. No, That's right. I mean, I think that could hold true, not just for athletes, yeah. but anybody who is in an industry that feels stuck ultimately yeah. and um or is ready to move on and they are fearful and they end up complacent and staying yeah. in a career they hate yeah, that's right. because they don't know how to translate those skills over to something yeah. else and yeah. and they don't feel like they deserve to be passionate about something else because they're leaving something that they know yeah, right that's right so how did you get through that? You, you talked about St. Archer, which we didn't really go into, but mm -hmm. you started this brewery at the time. You had no idea what you were doing no. while you were skating yeah. with a buddy yeah. and well, basically two buddies. Yeah, that's right. I mean, why wouldn't it be a good idea? It's a brewery. You probably enjoyed drinking beers and you thought we could do this thing. <laughs> that was the thought behind it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So with, so what ended up happening for me was kind of two parts. One, uh, I started really enjoying the business side of my career. Mm -hmm. And it was at the time where I got my own signature shoe and started kind of seeing how you take an idea mm -hmm. on, you know, what shoe do I want to design? Yep. You work with the designers, you get the samples, it gets into production, <laughs> and then the better you sell it, the more money you get to make. Yeah, I right. loved that whole process. Okay. And so when I got my first shoe, 
I reached out to my shoe sponsor asking if I could be more involved with the company. Mm -hmm. And I remember like I set up a meeting with the president. I gave him this whole pitch. I want to be more than a skater, mm -hmm. right? And he's listening to me for like 30 minutes. And then I finish and he looks at me and goes, dude, what though are you talking about? <laughs> you know, yeah. he's like, just yeah. go back to skating. Yeah. Like, leave this to us. And I remember yeah. leaving that meeting feeling like so kind of deflated. Yeah. And two, realizing that my time there had ended. Yeah. And then I got an opportunity to come onto a new shoe company mm -hmm. to actually revamp and rebuild their whole program. Mm -hmm. And I was like so excited about it, right? Mm -hmm. Except I didn't understand leadership. I didn't understand how to communicate with people mm -hmm. and had this idea that when you're the boss, you can just, you know, demand people to do things, right? Yeah. It was like such this like- 1980s. Uh, that's, right. <laughs> that's right. It was, I just didn't know, right? So I go in. Put on a sport coat and a, demand and demand. It was sex. ridiculous. That's awesome. I was ridiculous, work? right? I was ridiculous. <laughs> and so basically what happened is I went in thinking I was the boss. Yeah. And didn't know how to work with people. And you had designers that had been there for decades looking at me going, who is this kid? Like, yeah. what is his deal? Right. Yeah. Except I was too immature to understand that it was me. Of course. <laughs> and so I took it as, okay. I'm just a skater and I'm always just going to be a skater to these companies. Right. The only way I'm going to be able to take a vision and bring it to reality is starting companies. Mm -hmm. And that's where it really started shifting. And I went, I need to look for my own thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I started really the, like, I don't know how to lead. Yeah. I don't know how to work with people. So that, that was like a big growth moment for me. Mm -hmm. So I looked so how back. How did you get that? Uh, I had this, this, what do you want to call it? I call it like a God moment. Yeah. But at that shoe sponsor, uh, I was at a Christmas party. Uh-huh. And it was in Irvine, actually right down the street. And we leave the Christmas party and I'm walking to the hotel. Mm -hmm. It's like two in the morning. Yeah. And I'm with like seven of my friends, eight Completely of my friends. sober. Somewhat, somewhat. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. And, uh, and I don't know These why. These are real moments. That's why I highlight them because... Things happen for us. Yes, that's right. In the most random times of our life. Yeah, and it's so, usually at the low, at the lows, right? I mean, usually. Yeah. And so for me, I don't know why, but as we were walking back, I was having this like, I was just thinking about my life, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And as I was thinking about my life, I just like started to be really disappointed with it. And like mm -hmm. at that point, I was complaining a lot. I was just like not very pleasant. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I, I'm like, you know, having this realization, like, wow, I like really suck, you know? Oh, and as it so happened, I didn't even notice. It feels like it was at a movie. I'm walking with all of my friends. I start thinking about my life and they start kind of going on a, a faster pace and I start slowing down to a point where I'm by myself. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I have this like very real realization that I'm not the person I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And in that, I'm like, dude, I'm under this light. It's foggy. I'm all by myself. I'm like in tears at this, this is point. Hollywood. Right? It was this insane. Hollywood. It was yeah. insane. Maybe there's a movie of this someday. Yeah. But that was a moment where I kind of made a decision. I don't want to be this anymore. Yeah. And that was the beginning of me working on changing. And in that change was right around the time of this whole thing with the shoe company mm -hmm. and me realizing that I had a lot of weaknesses. <laughs> And in, in that it was, I really need to learn how to work with people mm -hmm. because pro skateboarding is very selfish. Mm -hmm. It was all about me. I didn't need a team. I yeah. could go out and do it. Yeah. Uh, and so I realized it in that moment. Mm -hmm. So where, what was your first action item? Like, how did you execute? I mean, vision is one thing, but yeah. putting action behind that right. thought and that self-realization, what was the first step? So my very first rule 
was, I, I complained about everything, right? Yeah. So my very first rule was at least once a day, mm -hmm. something that happens to me that I want to complain about, I have to find the positive in it. Mm -hmm. And it was like this game I created. And like some days, like I remember like something would happen that just flat out sucked. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> and I remember like almost it felt like I was lying to myself. Yeah. I'm like, no, there's some good in this. It's going to lead to something. Totally. But what ended up happening, and it was, this took a while. But after a while, I no longer had to play the game. Mm -hmm. And I started naturally seeing the positive in experiences that typically I would be upset about. Yeah. And then what started happening is like when bad things would happen, mm -hmm. they almost wouldn't even register to mm -hmm. me anymore. Mm -hmm. And then like a couple years later, you know, I remember like somebody saying, hey, can you talk about like something that, you know, happened really bad in your life for the last four years? Yeah. And I found myself not being able to remember something. Yeah. And it wasn't as if bad things weren't happening. Right. right it right. just wasn't like crushing me anymore. Right. And that was like the first, first one for me. Uh, the second action item was I started writing down every morning things I was thankful for. Mm -hmm. uh, and it started off as five things. And for the first, gosh, it's probably six months, they were typically the same five things. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then it just, that practice starts putting you more in a, I think, a grateful mentality uh -huh. uh, or a, an optimist view of things. Uh -huh. And then, dude, it changed everything for me. Like, for me, my second half of my career uh -huh. was so much better than the first half. Yep. And if you look at, like, my prime, it was probably somewhere towards the tail end of my first half. Mm -hmm. I was more successful in the second half. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it more. It, just, it changed everything. Yeah. So... You started this, it obviously didn't happen overnight. The mm. time the time span, it obviously continues to this day. I'm assuming that you are consistently practicing yeah. uh, attitude of gratitude yeah. and waking up with disciplines that you taught yourself, mm -hmm. it sounds like. Now there's so much of that on social media, right? Like um, there's so much of these people exploiting the word gratitude and exploiting these you know, be mindful, be self-aware, take the time um, that I think when you, you hear it, you downplay it, but there is actual practice to it yeah. that when doing it for a long period of time, I, I just did this podcast not too long ago with David Meltzer. Do you know oh, who that yeah, is? Oh, yeah, of course. Love yeah. Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Find the love life and, uh, or find the love lesson in life in the failures, basically. Yeah. I, I'm botch, botching that. He'd kill me. But um, bottom line is he's doing exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. He's, he's finding the positive in the situation and learning from whatever goes wrong. Yeah. We, we all deal with crap yeah, that goes right. wrong. Um, but these catapult you in your life to being able to be entrepreneurial that's and right. being able to see opportunity. And that's I right. think that's a big miss when you go to, you know, life coaches and business coaches that talk very high level about where well, you're going to do this and you're going to create habits, but yeah. they don't touch enough on there's emotion at every stage. That's right. And there's moments that we have to become self-aware to be able to go to the next step. That's right. right? That's right. Um, and so I think it's great that you look, still can look back and say, this was a turning point for yeah. me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's a part of it. Right? right. Like, right. I think like what you're alluding to, which I agree on is it's not all about mindset. Right. Right. If right. you just do your thing and you that is not enough. It's not enough. But you have to have that right. to apply the actual, let's call it uh, to do list right. or tactical list right. to succeed at it. Right. So, and I think that's the hard part when you seek guidance 
is people leave out a portion, yeah. one side of or the other, yeah. right? Yeah, like right. it's one thing to have a vision. It's one thing to be mindful and have a self-realization. Yeah. I, you know, there's these are they happen. Moments of clarity happen for people at different times yeah. or, you know, the coming to Jesus meetings yeah. that you have. That Those are personal moments that happen for everyone at different times yeah, or right. sometimes never happen. But taking that and creating an actionable behind it, I mm. think, is something that isn't spoken enough about, at yeah. least from the mentorship that yeah. I've gotten totally this agree. far. Um, so I just wanted to highlight that, not to, to I push that, that Thank you, yeah. <laughs> so, so you take that, you start, we're going to go back to okay. St. Archer. Okay. So because I think this is a phenomenal story, and okay. you, you probably, in your wildest imagination, had no idea where this was going at the point of starting St. Archer Brewery. Well, you know, we were like, look, we thought it was going to be huge. I'm not going to lie. You like, did. We, oh, yeah. We, we think every it, to the point of we were at dream. We were at the dreaming stage. Okay. okay. Right. Like, Dude, we're going to do this brewery. We're going to be able to drink beer for life for free. <laughs> you know, we're going to make a ton of money. Uh, yeah, we had that thought. We didn't. Yeah. We didn't know what that meant, but that was kind of the dream in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and then as we started putting together like the actual plan and coming to the realization that holy shit we're actually doing this uh you know yeah it, it felt more intimidating but like look we were naive mm -hmm. like we had never started a business we didn't know how hard it was going to be mm -hmm. but we all three believed that we could accomplish anything we wanted to do as long as we never stopped yeah right right so right. It, it was really unique that we had three people that were all the way on board with that uh and Again, then what, saying and doing are totally different. So these people, your partners, showed up every day prepared to never stop. My two partners are, uh, so one of my partners is Paul, Paul Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. And Paul Rodriguez is pretty much Kobe Bryant of skateboarding. Yeah. He is brilliant on a skateboard. And his mentality and his focus is equally as brilliant, right? Very similar to Kobe. Yeah. Uh, that is a phenomenal partner. Mm -hmm. And then my other partner, Josh, uh, he, he, he refuses to fail. Mm -hmm. He will not do it. He's just a, he's very obsessive like us. Mm -hmm. uh, and you just put us three together and it was like everybody knew like, yeah, we're, we are going for this. All the way going for it. Well, so that's interesting. So you're saying he's afraid to fail. That's not necessarily good. No, 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 no. I'm not saying he's afraid to fail. I'm saying he will not fail. He refuses to fail. You know so, what I'm saying? So he'll get back up and get back up and get back up. He will never not get up. Okay. Ever. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. So pushing forward, you take you start this company in what year? Uh, we came up with the idea around 2011. We started it in 2012. So what was your first step with that? You went out, got you found yourself somebody who could actually make beer. Well, <laughs> our first step was to try to figure out like what this even meant. Yeah. And our our original idea was we don't know anything about beer. Right. So we started going to other breweries and uh -huh. seeing if they could make our beer for us. Mm -hmm. And we would just be in charge of building a brand, marketing it and sales, which we understood because of skateboarding. Right. Uh, and as we were going from brewery to brewery to brewery, we realized mm -hmm. that there was no money in it. Like mm -hmm. doing it this way, we mm -hmm. were eventually going to have to build our own brewery. Yeah. And so my, one, one of my partners, Josh, looked at me and Paul and went, guys, we're gonna have to build a brewery anyway. Yeah. Why don't we just go for it? Okay, we're doing a brewery. Uh, and so at that point, we didn't really know what that meant. Mm -hmm. And Randy, who my parents introduced me to, uh, is who I called. Yeah. And I was like, Randy, we have this idea. Can you help us? 
And he's like, come meet, me, meet with me. And so we pitched this whole idea with him. And he goes, all right, cool. Where's the business plan? And we're like, what? You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. And he was like, guys, you got to do a business plan. Yeah. So we do a business plan. We realize that we don't have enough money to start this company. Yeah. And so he's like, look, you guys are going to have to raise money. Yeah. Okay. What does that mean? Yeah. And so he was the one that basically helped us get everything in order mm -hmm. and also like educated us on what mm -hmm. it means to raise money and how we are going to get hit with questions mm -hmm. and we have to know how to respond to those questions yeah. to create trust in an investor that they're going to believe in three kids <laughs> to push this thing to the finish line so we don't lose our money. Right. Uh, and then we went out and went for it. So what was your first type of fund that you raised? Was it... The first, so we had Fam, friends and family. Yeah, it was friends and family. Okay. Uh, we had two goals. Uh -huh. uh, we either needed a, we needed a million five to have a business. Okay. If we raised two and a half million, we were able to do it a little larger scale. We would get a bigger system. Okay. And so we ended up raising the two five. Right. Uh, and of we, course, we, that went without saying. That yeah. was a nice touch with the one point five, though. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? At that point, yeah, all three of us were like a million and a half. Yeah, yeah. Are you kidding me? Like we, we didn't know. We had right. no idea what it was going to be like. Right. Uh, and I remember my, my partner, Josh called me and he goes, dude, we did it. We got to a million five. We're going to get a shot at this. Yeah. Well, let's do this. You know, yeah. and then we ended up getting the two five. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, we called every single person we knew mm -hmm. that we thought would give us money. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, my parents, my in-laws, my uncle, uh, all of my friends in skateboarding, Josh had connections in surfing. It was like, we just did the rounds. That's so awesome. Yeah. So you built your first brewery where? In San Diego, Miramar. Okay. okay. Yeah. And did one brewery turn into two? It eventually turned into, uh, we were just about to open a second as we went through the transaction or selling the business. But uh, it all started as one production brewery, but we ended up growing into the building. Okay. So we took a portion of this big building mm -hmm. and then we just kept moving, breaking down walls and expanding. Right. And expanding. Right. So did you own the building? Did you buy the no. building? Mm -mm. No, you mm -hmm. leased the building. Mm -hmm. I think that's fascinating. I talk to my own, my gym owner all the time. And um, it's interesting to me how many people do lease buildings versus buying them. Being in real estate, obviously, I'm constantly like, why wouldn't you buy a building or build a building yeah. and not lose that money? Um, and so it's just an interesting thing, especially when you have production going out of there. I mean, yeah. if, the if the landlord or the owner of the building pulls the plug, then you're stuck in a situation that, I mean, that's an expensive move at that point. That's right? true. That's true. You can make the argument that if you get a long enough timeline, then that gives you wiggle room. Right, right, right. right. Uh, at least like our view of it was, uh, that you meant we had happy. to raise more money. Yeah, that's right. Right? <laughs> yeah. One, two, we, we, we didn't know much about real estate at that mm -hmm. point. We were figuring this all out as we went. Yeah. Uh, and then I think there's other businesses where they're like, look, I just want to focus on my business. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to manage the property. Yeah, uh, right, right, right. You right. know, I think it all depends. Right. So your company quickly went from you three to how many employees at the time of sale? Oh man, we, so us three, when we launched, we had about a team of eight. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when we sold, I think we had about 40, 45 people. <clears throat> That's crazy. It was crazy. And so you ended up selling to Coors Miller. We sold to Miller Coors. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. And so then what, then were you like, what do we do now with ourselves? So, uh, yeah, kind, kind of. So basically 
my plan was St. Archer mm -hmm. and my partner's plan for me with St. Archer was I was still, I was, I was basically a hybrid. Mm -hmm. I was still skating, uh -huh. but my, you know, looking back at my model to success with skateboarding was I was the outperformer. I just worked harder than everyone. Yeah. Right. And, and I knew that. Yeah. And so when we started St. Archer, I had this idea that if I give up 50% of my time as a pro skateboarder, mm -hmm. I'm still going to skate as much as everyone else. Yeah. Right. And then that frees up time for this. Yeah. And we didn't think we were going to sell it so fast. So I, that two years I told you, Adam, ideal, mm -hmm. that was going to be the end. And I was going to move in and St. Archer was going to be my next thing. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Uh, and then we ended up selling it before my career ended. So then I was in this like, okay, crap, I guess I'm going to skate for another two years. Right. Uh, and then my partner, Josh and St. Archer stayed in the beverage industry mm -hmm. and started a coconut water. And then he started another brewery and then got into seltzer. And then I moved into what I do now, which is commune. Yeah. Which is commune. which is on the private equity side of real estate. So let's talk about commune. Okay. How did that come to fruition? And what made you start thinking real estate? Cause you know, being in the brewery, you weren't thinking real estate at all. You're thinking so, drinking beer. So, so <laughs> and okay. making big things happen. So there, there's an added uh, component to it. Um, when I first started skating and I got introduced to Randy, I wasn't making a lot of money. And real estate being kind of a high barrier to entry, uh -huh. I didn't have enough to participate in the beginning. Yeah. So I went on this moment of living like I was broke mm -hmm. to build up this kind of, you know, well, it was like a, a, a war chest of cash, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then when I really had enough to deploy, it went into real estate with Randy. Okay. And uh, so you had a partner again. Yeah, I was investing in, in the, we were going into storage. Okay. And then going into lending. Okay. And that was where I was putting the bulk of my investment from a completely passive side. Okay. And then with St. Archer, it was like, okay, this is going to be my thing. <clears throat> passive investments are primarily going to go into real estate uh -huh. and I'm going to focus on building business. Right. When St. Archer, Archer ended and then my career ended and I went through this moment of being lost. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Uh, I started having friends that were pro skateboarders hit me up going, dude, what the hell's up with you? Yeah. Yeah. Like, are you good? Dude, you pretty much disappeared. <laughs> yeah. And I noticed something that every single person would call and ask how I was financially. How's your money? How's the family? Are you going to lose the home? Yeah. And every single pro asked it. And I just got to a point where I was like, man, everyone's asking me about money. Yeah. One, two, all of my income went away overnight and I did not have to scramble for a job. Yeah. I, I, I had, had gotten to a point of financial independence. Yeah. Which in skateboarding, I, I was one of three people. I was just going to say, this is why they were asking the question, that's right? right. Cause because they this were thinking about, it was a self-reflection moment for them. That's that right. probably most of them missed that's to right. be honest. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so I had this kind of moment where one, I'm in the middle of surgery Yeah. or, or recovering, which is yeah. already a mental war. Right. Right. I'm now struggling with career being <clears throat> gone. Yeah. And then I'm my friends going, dude, that's so cool that you're in this position. And I didn't feel good about the position I was in. I felt right. like I was isolated in a sense. It was almost like survivor's guilt. Totally, right? totally. And I'm like, dude, I, well, I don't want to be here. Yeah. I want to be with all my friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And moving and creating. That's right. And yeah. so I had this idea that I could do everything that Randy did in my life for my community. Yeah. And that was... He educated me on money, which I knew nothing about prior. Yeah. 
He helped me create discipline when I wasn't making a lot of money. Yeah. And then also taught me how to invest. Yeah. And how to invest in assets that were gonna ultimately, you know, help this transition of mine. Mm -hmm. And so when I had that idea, it was like, okay, mm -hmm. replicate Randy. There has to be a component of education, and I want there to be a component of opportunity. Mm -hmm. And when I started looking at opportunity, I, I was already an entrepreneur. We had already sold St. Archer, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And our investors saw crazy return. Yeah, yeah. But I started looking at it going, okay, if I'm going to have opportunity that they could partner with me on, I wanted it to be risk adverse. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be in an asset that I believed they could really count on mm -hmm. when they started getting towards the end of the career. Mm -hmm. And I always felt like real estate was that for me. Totally. And so I had the idea that I was going to create a company that had real estate as an opportunity and education as a component. Mm -hmm. And so when I started working on the business plan, what I really quickly realized is that I knew nothing about creating a portfolio or a fund. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I knew how to do a business. I knew how to raise capital. Mm -hmm. uh, Randy did. So I called Randy. <laughs> And uh, this Randy time, has like got a gold star. He's got like Randy's 10 gold been, he stars. was a godsend for me. Yeah. Um, and so I met with Randy. At this time, I had a business plan because I knew what I was doing. You know, I was like, Randy, this is what I want to do, right? Yeah. I don't understand fund management. I need you to educate me on the people I need to bring onto my team to help create this vision, mm -hmm. right? And he's asking me all these questions and blah blah blah. And at the end, he looks at me and goes, "Dude, I've known you for twenty years." Yeah. Uh, you have a very unique skill set. Mm -hmm. And what you're asking me, I'm either going to tell you to go hire other people, yeah. but dude, we do this. Yeah. Like, why don't you and I have a conversation about doing a business together? Yeah. And basically, long story short, uh, a year later, we ended up starting a company together. And that's Commune. And that's Commune. That's so awesome. Yeah. So the mentor that my parents made me meet when I was 18, basically 20 Fast years later. Fast forward 20 yeah. years, you're in business. Yeah. And let's talk about Commune. So he helped you fund manage because this is his comfortable space, his yep. wheelhouse. Yep. And he has helped grow the funds because mm -hmm. now you have multiple funds, mm -hmm. correct? Yep. And your primary investment is commercial. Mm -hmm. That's right. Storage. Storage, multifamily, and then we have a lending portfolio as well. Okay. And so just we're give on us the residential side of commercial. We do. Mid to larger size apartments. Okay. So no larger than? Uh, our current project, we're building about 850 units. That's the large side. That's on the larger side. Okay. Yeah. And then your small, the smallest you go. Smallest in. we have is a 34 unit. Okay. Out here. Okay. So that is small for multifamily. I mean, small for multifamily. Yeah, yeah. And your storage side, you're looking at primarily X percentage of square footage or just opportunity? Yeah, so on the storage side, we target uh, big box retail that goes dark. Mm -hmm. So Kmart, Walmart, Sears, grocery stores, uh, we wait for them to become distressed, mm -hmm. and then we repurpose that asset into storage. And those are typically I don't know, 90 to a little over 100,000 feet. What, I'm on this panel, segue kind of, but I'm on this panel coming up, and it's SFR, the Bulletproof Asset Class, and the whole, panel kind of agrees that it's really about repurposing these days. Um, you're going to see a lot of repurpose in right. residential, just single family yep. all the way through commercial. I think the opportunity in commercial as you're experiencing is exponentially more just because 
so many big box retailers don't find the value of being there anymore. That's right. Online has completely taken over. So what is the, I mean, do you see this as a short-term play? These, this, you know, repurposing it to a storage facility? I mean, at some point- That's a good question. Where's the need? So that's a really good question. what you're referring to is we're seeing disruption happen because you're seeing industries change, yep. right? Yeah. And this idea that we view retail as one thing and we are no longer using it for that purpose. Yeah, right. At the same time where we're, everything's at a premium, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the idea is you can attack an asset class that is being hit, mm-hmm. which means discount. Right. Most people are primarily running from retail Mm -hmm. and you're able to buy something at discount and turn it into something that's a premium. Yeah, that's right. Instead of going in at a premium and hoping that it still becomes a premium on an exit, right? Right. Uh, When do we get to a point where retail no longer becomes an opportunity to repurpose? Uh, I think it's going to be a while. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because we, we target that type of retail for storage on our apartment platform we mm-hmm. target malls yeah so we're we're going after dead malls throughout the nation and right. there's like what 120,000 of these things yeah and people haven't really figured out what to do yet you have a group that's going we need to reimagine the mall experience yeah that's right right the shopping experience that's what that's what one group's trying to do yeah then you have other groups going no we need to turn this into something completely new that's right and so that's the approach we're taking is turning it into something completely different. How much of this do you feel like could be like low income or affordable housing, these mall structures? Uh, I think we're gonna start seeing more and more of that coming up. Right. You know, like, uh, the, like the, 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 the hard thing about affordable housing, I was having this conversation the other day with somebody, a lot of times the deals don't pencil, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, as investors, our job is to make money. Yeah, that's right. And when things become more expensive right. and you don't see un- other areas to give, that squeezes our margin. Yeah, of course. And when we're looking at taking risk mm-hmm. and they're not being the potential to make money, we're not doing the deal. Yeah, that's right. 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 And so a lot, of, a lot of times with affordable housing, you just can't get the deal to make sense. Yeah, right. What I think is going to happen is we're probably going to start seeing a lot more incentive mm-hmm. on the affordable housing side. Yeah. From the communities. From the communities. Mm-hmm. And if you start seeing that, then I think adding affordable housing starts making sense. Yeah, right. I, I think like the repurpose play is all across the board happening. Yeah. And and it's reimagining the space to your point. Yeah. It's not just the quick lipstick on the pig add value. No, no, no. It's no, no. completely reimagining the space yeah. as it were to something that is truly needed That's in right. needed space. That's right. So that's awesome. So that's one of your funds. And then how's your lending structured overall? Like what type of lending do you guys typically offer? So we do, so it's bridge uh, and hard money and we're first trust on everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's all in commercial. We're pretty conservative as far as- Leverage. uh, Yes. Okay. Uh, We have two classes. We have a class A, class B that target a different max leverage. Mm -hmm. And then in it, along with that, produce a different return. Mm -hmm. And we kind of have the mentality of, like we started in the equity side. Mm-hmm. So when we look at deals, and unfortunately with lending, and you know this, not all deals end up working out. Yeah, for sure. Right? Loans become trouble. So, of course. And when a loan becomes troubled, you have to figure out what to do with this thing. Yep. And so we always have looked at it through the equity lens right. of if this deal becomes troubled, which right. we don't want, 
Yeah. But if it does, is this something that we are going to want? Yeah. And if we want it, what are we going to do with it? And do we even know this asset class? Right. Right. Uh, and that has always been our philosophy. So when loans have become troubled for us, uh, it hasn't affected our numbers in a negative way. Right. Now there's a massive amount of brain damage well, and it's course. exhausting. Of course. Uh, but loss mitigation been, is yeah. a whole separate deal. That's right. But. That's right. So basically what, what we look at for our portfolios is if you want pure cash flow, mm -hmm. and in our point of view, the least amount of risk, mm -hmm. we have a lending option. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for the biggest potential of growth, probably our newest fund, which mm -hmm. is targeting the malls to apartments, that's probably the greatest opportunity. Mm -hmm. If you want something in the middle that stabilizes, that produces cash flow and sells up, uh, upside for appreciation, you go into storage. And those are your three and, options. And so somebody coming in, do you um, do syndications? Obviously you do. We do not. Oh, you don't? No. So we do. So we have a true fund structure. Okay. Uh, all three are open-ended funds. Uh, and the thing that we've, we have not, like the argument between fund and syndication is a hard one. Yeah, because right. Because there's pros and cons to both. Yeah. And I love the idea of a syndication because it's a lot easier to raise money for. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, they're not even equal in that regard. Right. Uh, but there's a lot of benefits to the fund structure as well. Mm -hmm. And with a fund, our fund always has to have first right of uh, opportunity. Mm -hmm. And we haven't been in a position where the fund hasn't been able to fund uh, the opportunity that we wanted to move into. So there's no need to... To, di not, to change pattern. Not yet, but we. But this has been a conversation for since we started the company. Yeah. Do we syndicate? Which one's better? Open end versus close it? It's just a... It's a constant battle. Yeah. Well, to your point, there's pros and cons to everything, right? Like, I, I just find it interesting. I think more and more people are moving towards a syndication model, like in the equity space. Mm -hmm. um, I know that focusing on my business in lending, I prefer to participate rather than be a, you know, the, the general partner. And so, um, to your point, you know, like, like you did with St. Archer, you want to focus on the business, but you want to consistently have that passive play. So I know it's become more attractive as money is out there. Yeah. There's a ton of money out there, as you know, yeah. just sitting on the sidelines and yeah. it's not doing anything for any of us. Right. It's just sitting there. That's right. So whether it's, 10 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand, depending on, you know, what fund or what asset class you're interested in, in looking at, obviously that matters. But um, I, I think that it's an interesting, um, it's interesting how popular syndication has gotten. Totally. It's really picked up speed. Yeah. And look, if you're getting started, it's easier, yeah. truthfully. Yeah. It is a lot easier in my perspective because it's easier to raise capital. Yeah. You yeah. know, the, the thing that I don't like is if a deal doesn't work out, you got to do a capital call yeah, and investors right. have to re-up their investment. Yep. Uh, on a fund structure, you can get away with not having to ever call capital again. Right. At least from your original investor base. Right. So um, I didn't mean to make this all about financial, but... Um, I love the financial talk. I know. I love financial talk too. I like money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like money and I like playing with money. And it, honestly, I'm embarrassed to say this, but mid-30s, late-30s, I um, was when I realized business is really about getting money to work for you versus you working for money. And it, that concept never really triggered to me. And mm. maybe that comes with a little bit of financial independence. Maybe that comes from being in the space. Maybe it comes from talking to so many awesome people like you. Mm. Like there's so many different facets of how you can get money to work for you. And you don't have to be 
a millionaire to get money to work for you. No, that's to right. your point as a skateboarder, it can start with twenty five dollars. That's right. And figuring out how to move the chess pieces to your advantage. Yeah. Um, and I think that's so important for everyone to hear. And that is a perfect segue to, um, I told you I, I saw some of your snippets on financial literacy. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to kind of scratch the surface on that. What do you think one to five key ingredients for success in, in terms of um, being financially independent are for a person? Oh, it's such a great question. Uh, I think the very first one that you kind of referred to is you have to believe it's possible, mm -hmm. right? There, it, 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 there is something very wrong right now with uh, the overall idea that you have to be rich yeah. to be financially independent or to even be able to participate in something mm -hmm. like freeing up time, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, That's just not the case. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is more about the discipline and consistency than making a ton of money, right? Right. That's number one. So you have to believe that it's possible. Two, uh, creating the discipline or learning to be responsible when you don't make that much mm -hmm. is what gears you to be responsible when you start making a lot. Mm -hmm. So you have to create the discipline early. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we don't do that. We view it as I barely make enough money mm -hmm. and I'll start figuring out how to manage my money when I start making more. Yeah, that's right. Unfortunately, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Right. When we start making more money, we start then spending more it. money. Yeah. So learning how to create disciplines like paying yourself first. Yeah. That's yeah. a very easy one to go. You know what? I am putting money towards my savings mm -hmm. before I pay my bills. Yeah. That helps create discipline. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, creating a plan. Mm -hmm. Like that is like when we had the idea for St. Archer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had this idea that we want to do a brewery. Mm -hmm. First thing Randy says to us, where's the business plan? Mm -hmm. Same thing applies to your finance. What are you trying to accomplish with it? Mm -hmm. What is your end goal? And then once you know the end goal, now you know what you need to do and you almost work backwards. Yep. So yep. coming up with a plan yep. would probably be three. Uh, in that plan, putting purpose behind your dollars. Mm -hmm. Why are these be dollars being used in the way they're used? Mm -hmm. And I think once you start telling dollars where to go, this percentage is going towards my savings. Mm -hmm. This percentage is going towards needs, things mm -hmm. I have to cover. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna put these dollars towards, yeah, having fun. Mm -hmm. And then you know why you're making decisions instead of just making them and looking back at the end of the month going, where did all my, my money, money go? go? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's a cycle. And it's a cycle for a large majority of the population, that's right. unfortunately. That's right. It's, it, look, it's so easy to happen. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I think the last one would be moving away from the consumer mentality mm -hmm. and into the owner mentality, right? When you're looking at spending dollars, don't look at buying the Tesla, mm -hmm. look at investing into Tesla. Right. What, whatever right. you are looking at purchasing, look mm -hmm. at a way to own the thing you want to purchase. Yeah, right. right? And, and that doesn't, don't, don't, I'm not saying go invest in Tesla. Right, I'm right, just right. using the analogy of right, right. look at how to be an owner with your dollars first mm -hmm. before you look at how to spend them. Instead of the consumer, the consumer. It, it, first. It, it's changing the yeah. cycle and how we perceive purchasing, right? Yeah. Like yeah. we are taught yeah. to make money so that we can spend money, yeah. right? I want to buy this camera. Or how much live is, or just live. Whatever the thing is, yeah, right? Totally. Let's call the expense the expense. Yeah. I need $2,000 to buy this camera. Mm -hmm. So automatically we think, how can I go make $2,000 to buy that camera? Mm -hmm. Instead, we should be thinking, how much money do I need? to buy an asset that pays me $2,000 a month. 
yeah. or $2,000 a year, whatever it is. Yeah. Then I get to use the money I earn from the asset to buy, to buy the camera. thing. Yeah. That's the, the change that needs to happen in, yeah. in how we view purchasing. That's great actual advice. I think when you take ownership on all levels, very, very fundamentally all the way through, like you said, when you're very successful, bought, sold, et cetera, mm -hmm. I think that is a mentality shift, that is. you know? Um, when you talk about making a plan, mm -hmm. uh, this is like a dreaded question for me to this day. <laughs> okay. One, I just think, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed with all these like tactical That's right. footsteps of how I'm supposed to achieve shit. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Like, I just know my end goal is X. So in those situations, like backtrack to, to when your, your mentor told you or your partner now told you create a plan. What did you guys do? Like, did you feel like you had the skill set to create a plan? No, I needed help doing it. I was, so so, who so did you, how did you get help? How did you take the first step? So Randy helped me with the plan. Okay. And, and okay. it started with him asking me questions. Yeah. How much money are you making now? Yeah. How much money do you think you're going to be making towards the mid, middle of your career? Towards the end? How long does your career last? Mm -hmm. Right? How do you make money is mm -hmm. one. Two, when do you want to retire? Mm -hmm. What age? Okay, pick an age, right? Mm -hmm. For me, it was like, dude, if I make it to 30, this is gonna be insane. <laughs> I need to retire at 30, right? Yeah. He, he went with it. Okay, so if you have to retire at 30, how much money do you need coming in to support your lifestyle? Yeah. At that point, when I had my first meeting with him, dude, I was making like 20 grand a year, right? I'm like, Randy, I need 20 grand a year. I can live like I'm broke. And then I had somebody go, no, dude, you're gonna get married. Yeah. You're gonna have kids. Yeah. Life is gonna become more responsible. You yeah. have to think beyond that. Yeah. What do you need to live on to carry you the whole the whole run? Yeah. If you retire at 30 yeah. and you die at 80, yeah. how much do you need to cover yourself, right? right? And so I threw out a number. Yeah. 150 grand, right? And he goes- What you thought was like, I, I will be so living much. so large. Look, I thought that was freaking crazy, right? Like, damn, I can't believe 150 grand just came out of my mouth. Yeah, yeah. You know? Right. And then he was like, okay, let's start working at this for you to make 150 grand. This is the return that you have to make, right? And to achieve this return, you're going to have to save this amount of money every single month to then put into these investments. And mm -hmm. after a whatever, 10-year period, you'll have enough. But these are the roadblocks. Mm -hmm. These are the things that can go wrong to affect this return. Mm -hmm. These are the things that go, can go wrong so that you're not able to draw the amount you want. Mm -hmm. And so we started creating... Uh, what we call is a, uh, uh, like an asset allocation or a, a, a what do they call it? For uh, an asset balanced matrix, the ABM, right? Okay, okay. So they look at all the different asset classes, uh -huh. the risks that go into those asset classes, the liquidity, et cetera. Uh -huh. And then we create a plan based on my goals uh -huh. and also my risk tolerance uh -huh. and the capacity that I'm even able to take in doing so. Okay. And then it was just stick to the plan. So, awesome. so, so this is, so that look, my goal was I need to retire at 30 uh -huh. and I need 150 grand for coming in from investments, right? Uh -huh. That is very hard to do on a pro skateboarder salary. <laughs> yeah. And so he looked at me and went, dude, you better live like you're like you're poor. Yeah. And so for how long? How so long for does... 10 years, yeah. I lived like I made nothing, mm -hmm. right? To the point where we had started St. Archer, mm -hmm. uh, and I was driving a 94 Civic hatchback. Mm -hmm. 
that I bought for twenty five hundred dollars mm -hmm. with no power steering, no nothing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I am living off nothing. Yeah. To the point where my wife's like, "Hey, dude, we're about to have a baby. You can't drive these cars anymore. <laughs> you have to get a real car." You know, yeah, and that yeah. turned into I got a Prius, and that was like the damn. That's a big yeah. one, right? <laughs> yeah. So had power windows that yeah, worked. Yeah. yeah. But what I experienced, and this was the most powerful part. I created the discipline when I was making a lot of money. Yeah. We end up selling St. Archer yeah. and I pay more in taxes yeah. than I had ever dreamed of making. Yeah, right, 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 right. Lump sum of money comes in, nothing changes in my lifestyle yeah. because the discipline was already created. Yeah. And if the discipline wasn't already created, our lifestyle would have been bonkers. You didn't do one thing for yourself. For example, four months after we sold the company, uh -huh. my wife goes, we should probably celebrate. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, oh, what do you want to do? Yeah. Her and I went to Mastro's. <laughs> we spent 250 bucks on a dinner. Yeah. That was us celebrating. That's awesome. Though. Now, I, people might hear that and go, yeah, but dude, you're not enjoying it. Uh, that is something that my wife and I actually have to tell ourselves. Enjoy some of the fruits. Yeah. Celebrate. That doesn't come natural for us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But to my point, the actual, like, okay, you sell a company for a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Let's go on a big trip. We can drop 15 grand on the celebration. Yes. Okay. I'll give you that one. Yeah. But as far as the lifestyle goes, yeah. the lifestyle inflation yeah. is what gets you in trouble. Yeah. And the only way, the only reason we were able to maintain the lifestyle was because we had worked at that discipline for so long prior. So I yeah. think that's a really important thing to create. Yeah. So did you come, did you have an upbringing where you did you were middle class or you didn't come from a lot of money yeah we were so we were middle class uh my dad was a photographer mm -hmm. uh out of the neighborhoods we lived in i think my dad always made the least amount of money mm -hmm. uh but he was so good with money mm -hmm. like it, it, the biggest blessing i think my dad gave me financially was mm -hmm. he didn't talk about money to me mm -hmm. i didn't learn financial strategy Mm -hmm. But he gave me an example to view mm -hmm. of how you should emotionally be connected with money. Yeah. And like, there was never a case where something happened and my dad got fired up with money, mm -hmm. ever. Yeah. Whether it was a ticket, whether it was like some unexpected expense, my dad never flinched. Yeah. And so that really helped me, I think, view money as nothing more, nothing less. It's just yeah. money. Yeah. And then when I got connected with Randy, I started learning like actual tactics, strategies, what money even like. How to make money work for you. That's right. Yeah. That's and right. not feel like you were subject to your skateboarding career or that's the right. brewery or whatever you decided that's to right. pursue. That's right. I, I think that's awesome. One thing I always got from my dad though was we always felt like we made less money than everybody. Yeah. For some reason, my dad always felt like he had the most though. Like, like he was almost, secure. Yeah. Like he I, gave I, an air of confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he yeah. had to have. Because then there's not emotional, um, right. any emotion type. That's it. right. Just because somebody makes more, to your point, just, you know, two minutes ago, just means they've elevated their lifestyle. In many, many cases, we live in a very self-righteous, right. not disciplined society. That's right. That's why people that have discipline stand That's out right. so right. much. Right. I mean, the president of our company tells me all the time, Kendra, if everyone worked like you, you wouldn't be that special. That's right. Like, <laughs> That's right. Because I'm always telling people, I don't really, I mean, I know I work hard, but I don't, I'm not going to take that as an accolade. That's just what I know to do. Yeah. And 
I know that the fruits of working hard yeah. get me That's to right. the next step. That's so right. I think to, to kind of round this all out, disciplines go as far as the actions you take daily, which have helped you be successful from 13 forward. Mm -hmm. You took the action to make the tape, to figure out where you needed to go, to, to as silly as it may feel to you, just talking it out loud, yeah. to sell your parents, to get them behind you, to, and each stage of life you've created and maintained the same discipline, mm. um, even as it pertains to income yeah. in. And I think that that value, vocalizing that value to the masses, yeah. can't be vocalized enough. Yeah. And having two teenage kids now, I consistently try to instill in them, you know, to live within or below their means yeah. um, to, so that they can, in the case of life, life circumstances, you can walk away and not have that emotional right. issue, right? 1, because there's enough trouble. Like you said, there's identity. There's yeah. all these things that go with leaving one chapter of your life yeah. and moving on no matter what it is mm. and what stage you're at. So yeah. um, I'm grateful that you just vocalized oh, your... You your path because yeah, it's yeah. like so many people can learn from so much of that. And I think this is the beauty of the position that I've been put in, right? Yeah. I am a skater. Yeah. <laughs> I graduated high school and just skated, right? Like there's nothing brilliant about me. I am not special in any other way that I just believe I can do it and I do it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think that should be encouraging for everyone else that as long as you go and do it, mm -hmm. it can all happen. Totally. You, know? you got to take action. That's right. So what's ahead for you? Do you think you're going to end <sighs> on your, the business side or, yeah, or in terms of business? Do you feel it will end with uh, commune? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know we have big goals with commune. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, it's, a, it's such a good question. Probably not. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I say that is uh, I, I become really focused on the vision mm -hmm. and getting the company to the vision. Mm -hmm. And once we get it there, then I actually start losing interest mm -hmm. and I want to go create the new thing. I love the journey of like the idea to reality and the struggle of getting it there. That's, that's what fires me up, right? That's such a trip because you hear that in so many successful people. And I think, oh, like, it's exhausting, right? Which part? It's, Doing it? Yes. The <laughs> daily grind of achieving your goals. And yet when you can sit here and say, you find joy, uh, I think you've arrived. You've arrived in so many ways. I just listened to a TED Talk talking about being present. Yeah in the moment, yeah. balancing your focus to the point where um, you're not eliminating thought, quiet. You're not trying to be quiet. You're trying to harness the energy in what you're trying to accomplish, yeah. right? So I think that the hyper-focus is bad. The trying to be dull is bad, but the embracing the journey and realizing that the moments are, are it, yeah. like, yeah. You know, and when it trips me out because I sit here and I think to myself, oh God, arriving at each stage is so much work and exhausting. And as a yeah. mother and a professional and a, I'm just like, I want to 
I want to be able to say that and believe that with my heart, but there are days that I'm not enjoying the journey. Yeah, I, I hear you on that. I, I think for what I was blessed with was I got to experience hitting the ceiling mm-hmm. on my skate career. I went as high as you can go. Yeah. And hitting the ceiling uh-huh. sucked. Yeah. It was awful. Yeah. And I remember having this realization of, I don't ever want to feel that again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I loved my career. I yeah. loved trying to get there. Yeah. And then with St. Archer, right? We go through the beginning, which was brutal. Yeah. It was brutal. Yeah. We end up selling the company. And you know what the times were that we went back talking about and remembering that were great? The shittiest times yeah, we were experiencing. Yeah, Right? you learned the most. That's right. And totally. so I, that it just kind of changed my perspective now moving into the next thing. Yeah. And just like knowing that about me, like my personality, I do enjoy the challenge. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't know why I have this. I view everything as a game. Everything. Business, money, I think it's all a game. Yeah. And so I enjoy playing the game. Yeah. I don't necessarily like winning the game. Yeah. I just want to play it. And if I could do this. I just love that. And just be in this forever, I'm going to yeah. be happy. Totally. But it has to align with the purpose. Mm-hmm. Right? I think when people are doing something without a driving factor to do it, mm-hmm. then when you get in the days where they just suck, which I have too. Yeah. Like there's days where it's just brutal. Yeah. You have a reason to push through. Yeah. Because why you're doing this is beyond, I just want to make money. Yeah. You know? So if you can impart one thing on the masses because you have a great platform, what is that one thing? Oh, man. I know. It's hard. If I was to leave one thing, I think it is. For you to ever live an enjoyable life, Mm -hmm. you have to be able to answer three questions. Mm -hmm. Your identity. Who are you? Mm -hmm your purpose, mm-hmm. why are you here, mm-hmm. and your destiny. What happens to you after this? And if you can't answer those three questions, there is no point in you doing anything. So if search. you can answer the so three, three questions, life becomes a whole different type of thing. Mm-hmm. And the one core value or the set of core values that you live by and that you feel are attributing factors to your success? Oh, gosh, that's a really, really good one. Um, The core values that attribute to my success. uh, That is a really good one. Uh, I would say that at the core of it, the the largest one is uh, there is something bigger than me. I have a creator. I have a reason why I'm here. Mm -hmm. And... Ultimately, at the end of the day, he is in control, not me. Yeah. That would be probably the first. Uh, second, be grateful for, for my life. Mm-hmm. And three, be consistent, disciplined, and work your butt off. Probably be the three. I love that. Um, well, I could sit here and continue talking to you. I love it. Because you have so many value bombs. But <laughs> um, I know that we have things to do talking about action. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, thanks, Mikey, for hanging out. Um, and hopefully, maybe there's a part two. I don't know. Mikey has so many vo- um, value bombs. But anyways, thanks for tuning in. Um, and I hope that you all found some nuggets that you can apply and take action on and uh, take yourself to the next level. So until next time.